Okay, we're gonna start with Matthew chapter five and just quickly touch verse three. I'm gonna move as quickly as I can because we are kind of short on time. Uh, Matthew five is Jesus and he's sharing his first public sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about it before, but you can't get, you really can't get to the bottom of it because it just keeps, it just keeps being unpacked with clarity. The Lord continues to add revelation to these words that were so, so important when he released them the very first time. But right there at the beginning, verse three, he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Everybody say poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so when Jesus starts this sermon, he's laying out the value system of the kingdom of God. We call them the Beatitudes, but it's the values that those that are a part of his kingdom will live by. Now, when you go through a study on the the core values or the Beatitudes, you'll find that Jesus' value system is the exact opposite of the value system of the world. And so he starts this sermon with this statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. And I've been uh, in church 25 years in ministry and I've never seen anyone give an altar call for come down front and God's gonna impart poverty of spirit to you. And the reason why is because nobody wants that. We don't, think, man, today I hope I go to church and I leave more poor than when I left, when I came. And what we don't realize is that Jesus, his values are exactly perpendicular to the values of this world system. And so when we come to Jesus, we can't sort of add him on. We actually have to go through a complete shift, a total values transformation. It's a 180 from how we were living before. And he starts with this statement, blessed are the poor in spirit. And poor in spirit simply means this, that you come to grips with the fact that you can do nothing, you have nothing, and you are nothing without Jesus. It's, it's a statement that you recognize, I am poverty stricken without God. And it's actually a joyful surrender. Whereas before Jesus, you were trying to prove to everybody that you're worth something and you can do something and you have something. When you come to Jesus, you come with that recognition saying, I've got nothing. I am nothing. I I, I can do nothing without you, God. I need you to rescue me. And so that's the entryway to the kingdom. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. He's saying the door into the kingdom of God is this place of brokenness, this place of of poverty of spirit where you say, I need you, Jesus. I can't even save myself. Amen. And so here's the thing, though. When, When in the kingdom of God, we don't start with poor in spirit and graduate to now I'm rich in myself. You never graduate from poor in spirit. Now, he fills us with his spirit. He gives us all good things to enjoy. He makes us rich. But the moment that we believe that, we, that anything that we have is of our own doing, we absolutely forfeit what he's actually done for us. And so what Paul had to address with the Galatians was, he said, having begun in the spirit, uh, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Whereas they were believing there was something that they could do in the flesh of their own strength to actually earn them favor with God. They were saved. 
but they were working in the flesh on their own strength. And what was going on there, they were imagining that there was something in, in their own abilities that would curry favor with God. And so this is the challenge for believers. You enter the kingdom poor in spirit, and then you stay in the kingdom through being poor in spirit. And the challenge with that is nobody wants to be poor. Everybody wants to have something, be something, be all you can be and all that. And, and we, just, we just don't like that message. We don't like weakness. We don't like the message of you know, our, our neediness. And, and everybody wants to declare their own strength and their ability and what they know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. <laughs> We're not short on opinions in our world today, are we? I mean, everybody's got an opinion and they're happy to share it with you. And there's just gotta be a place in the kingdom where we come to the fact that we don't have an opinion, Jesus is the opinion. And so in this moment, what I wanna do is I wanna dial in on not just the entryway of the kingdom, but how we're sustained in the kingdom. And, and the way that we're sustained in the kingdom is by maintaining this attitude of being poor in spirit. Maintaining this attitude and recognizing that as long as we will live in this age, we are poor in spirit. We need Jesus for everything, for every breath. And so I said it the other day, kind of rough. I was speaking somewhere last week and I was talking about this, this issue and I said, you know, it just, I'm just coming to grips with this, that in this age, all I ever get to wear are huggies <laughs> because I'm a baby. And that's just where we stay. We just stay in that place of just neediness before God. So I wanna talk about this topic of brokenness because it's a term that's used interchangeably with this idea of being poor in spirit. And, and, and the thing about brokenness is that, again, nobody wants to be broken, but the Lord expounds on this topic, especially through the Old Testament prophets, and, and there are incredible promises that God gives to the broken. Now what's interesting is you never see the Lord ever say, be strong in yourself and I'll bless you, ever. Prove what you can do and I'll anoint you. I'll help those who help themselves. He doesn't say that, it's not in the Bible. I remember years ago I heard somebody say, well God helps those who help themselves, there's a verse. I go, that is not a verse. That's in that same book as, uh, uh, how's it go, godliness is next to cleanliness, cleanliness and godliness. Those aren't Bible verses. They're human sayings of frail human wisdom that actually mean nothing. All right, so let's look at this. I wanna look at brokenness. This, today's message is called The Glory of Brokenness. And I wanna look at Isaiah 66. There's three passages in the Old Testament I wanna dial in on, but I just wanna unpack this. And, and, I'm, and I'm speaking on this issue because it is central to our desire to have a move of the Spirit of God. How many want a move of God's Spirit in your life, in the church, in this region? We're believing for revival. We're believing for a break-in of God. The issue of brokenness is at the core of this, beloved. Isaiah 66, verse one, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? 
And where is the place of my rest? He's asking a legit question. He's saying, where will I dwell? Where will I rest? What will my resting place be? But he's also asking a rhetorical question. Can you build me a house? To which the answer is no. There's not a house that human hands can build that equals a place for God to dwell. And so he, he gives his desire and he defeats our ability in like this double punch right there in verse one. And then he says in verse two, in case you didn't know, for all those things, my hand is made. And all these things exist, the idea is by my power. He goes, I've made everything. What are you gonna make for me? You can't. And he's just, he's just bringing us face to face with reality, beloved. He's not trying to be negative. He's just bringing us to reality. There's nothing you can make for me. I am eternal. You are finite. I'm from forever. You're but a vapor. And so then he says this. He's now going to answer the question for us. On this one, but on this one will I look. That phrase, on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. On this one will I look. I watch believers. They spend years and years and years trying to get God's attention. And what they do is they work and they labor and they try to show God that they're worthy of his love and his attention through their works. And it's the exact opposite of what God said actually catches his attention. He says, I will look at the one who's broken. And that on this one will I look. It's not just you get my attention. It's actually this impartation of favor. When the eye of the Lord is on someone, the idea is the release of God's favor comes to that person. And so here is a massive spiritual truth and a huge key to all of our success in the kingdom of God. And it's this point that as we are broken, God releases favor. As we are broken, God releases favor. He doesn't release favor on pride. He doesn't release favor on strength. He doesn't release favor on un, you know, unsubmitted human ability. Your gifts don't actually just automatically call the favor of God in. There's something that calls the favor of God into your life, the attention of God and the presence of God, and it's none of your strength, it's your brokenness. That is so powerful and so difficult. <laughs> uh, I, Bob McGowan, who's one of our spiritual family members here, one of our church members, he gave me a note recently and he said, busy or not busy, Martha or Mary, he goes, none of it really matters, he goes, if you're not broken. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is right where I'm living. And he said, he said this, he said, the brokenness of a human heart is like a vacuum that draws the presence of God. And, and so I, I'm staring afresh at these verses and I'm saying, Lord, I want this. I want this place 
of being poor and contrite. That word contrite is a hard word. I've said it recently, but I'll say it again. Contrite literally means crushed, crushed into dust. And we've been talking some in our leadership environments and just talking about how when the Lord breaks us, it's easy for us to try to scoop up the pieces and put them back together, you know? And he goes, no, 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 don't pick the pieces back up. Let me keep the pressure on. Let me just keep breaking it and breaking it so that you can't ever, quote unquote, get it together. And I feel so strongly like there's this, this human expectation that you just gotta get it together. Man, when are you gonna get it together? You need to do better, try harder, get it together. And God goes, I don't want you to get anything together because whatever you can get together is not gonna draw my favor or my presence. I need you to be broken and honest. Honest about your neediness. Honest about your, the truth of your inability. And, and so when he says, where is the house you'll build for me? The question is, I want to dwell somewhere. I want to dwell with somebody. And then he gives the answer. The answer is, I'll look on the broken. In other words, he goes, I will dwell with the broken. Now, you just, you just think about your life, okay? Have you ever noticed, and I'll just tell on myself, this might not be you, but I'll just talk about me. Have you ever noticed, because this is how it goes with me, that when things are going really well, you tend to do things in your own abilities a little bit more, tend to make more stuff happen. And then when things are going really poorly, you ever notice your prayer life really gets a boost? Help! Help God is like an anointed prayer. Help God. I noticed that about me, that when things are going really well, I have a tendency to start getting arrogant. I start getting strong in my flesh. I start making things happen. And what the Lord does is he goes, okay, okay, big boy, make as much stuff as you want happen, happen. And he goes, now just put the pedal to the metal. And the reason why is because he knows eventually I will run out of gas. Eventually I'll hit the wall and eventually I'll go, this isn't working. And then as soon as I say that, as soon as I go, this isn't working, help, he goes, perfect, because I'm drawn into your brokenness. I want to dwell with the contrite and with the poor. And that's just not a message that we, we like. We want something that's gonna cause us to like rise above and rise up and stand strong and all that. And, and there is no biblical theology for human strength it's all be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The thing is, if you come to the table with your might, you can't, in, you can't engage his might. So you have to engage his might by saying no to your own. And so the divine question comes, where is the place of my rest? And he says, with the broken and the contrite. And then he adds this piece. He goes, the one who trembles at my word. And I see that verse as this, that the evidence of someone who's actually broken is they're trembling at the word of God. They're reading the scripture and they're saying, this is serious. And trembling is, it doesn't mean that your soul is always rattling. I mean, it could, but it means that when you read the word, you're actually taking it seriously. 
You're revering it, you're honoring it, and you're allowing it to transform you. And then when you don't look like that, you're saying, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I don't look like what the scripture is calling me to look like. That's the trembling at the word. I love what Psalm 119 verse 161 says. He says, my heart stands in awe of your word. That's the picture of trembling at his word. So he looks on the, the broken. He, he gives favor to the broken. But, but Isaiah 57 even says it more intentionally. So let's just look at that passage, Isaiah 57. Verse 15, it's actually, Dustin quoted this just a minute ago. I love when that happens. When the worship team sings your message or the pastor before preaches it first. It's, it, it never bothers me because it's the Lord. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I love this. The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. See, this is an issue of perspective. We will be full of ourselves when we don't see God rightly. When we begin to see him rightly, all of a sudden our brokenness is just on display. Our perspective completely shifts when you actually see God the way that God is. What our problem is, is that we make God a little bit bigger than ourselves, and therefore we don't see that we're actually infinitely beneath him. We make him like the 10-foot guy that can always jam the basketball, but we don't realize that we've made a God in our own image when we make him just a little bit higher than ourselves. There's an infinite gulf between how great God is and what we actually are. He's uncreated, we're created. This term is called transcendent. He's of a completely different order, and thus he is infinite. He, he's from everlasting to everlasting. He's never ceased to exist. There's a time before time began, which the scripture references, and in that space before time began, there was God. Your brain can start like rolling off the years and you go, well, a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, but there's a point where it just turns dark because your brain can't conceive of the, of the infiniteness of our God. This one, he holds, he holds all the waters in his hands. All the nations are, are like dust on the scale to him. There's no one like him. He's so far above. And here's our thing. We think, well, God has to fit in into our little reasoning capacity, into our little pea brain. It has to fit in here because if it doesn't fit in here, that can't be God. And I would just tell you the exact opposite. If it fits in there, it's not God. That's when you've made a God in your own image. If you understand everything about God, you do not know God. You don't know the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end, the most high, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. That inhabits eternity is really not even a good phrase to explain what he's saying there. He's saying, I'm from forever. The truth of the matter is eternity lives inside of him. <laughs> and so does everything else that exists. There's nothing that controls him, nothing that owns him, nothing that's over him, nothing that's before him. And he's all love. <laughs> it's 
thank God that he's good. What if he were bad? The idea that when we go through a little minor hardship, we think God is bad, that's absolutely silly because if he were bad, the badness would be infinite. His goodness is infinite. He's always working for our good. He even can use bad things that happen for our good. And he will even fight against us for our good. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? We're going this way. We're just bound and determined to do it our way. He goes, I like you too much to let you keep going that way. Let me redirect you. And sometimes that redirection looks like him breaking our hands off of the very thing that we're idolizing above him. I look at Paul and I go, man, Paul, what was going on there? You know, here you are, you're going, you know, 2 Corinthians 12, he has this heavenly encounter he tells us about, and then he tells us about this thorn in the flesh. And then he says, he asked the Lord three different times to get rid of it, and the Lord said, your, your uh, weakness is where my strength is made perfect. He says, my grace is made perfect. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient. And then Paul gets to this place where he goes, therefore I will glory in weaknesses and in trials and in tribulations and in infirmities because when I am weak, then I am strong. What's he describing? He's describing the foundational thought of what it means to be broken. Paul the apostle, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, he said, I glory in my weaknesses. And beloved, I believe that is the place that God wants to bring his children to, where we would just come to this place on the inside and just decide, I don't want to fight for my way my stuff, my opinion, my idea anymore. I just want what you have. And I believe that's what he's talking about when he says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell, check this out. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is of a broken, contrite and humble spirit. I dwell in the high and holy place with the one who is humble and contrite. What? What? You who are the most high, you dwell in the highest place with who? The ones that are lowly the ones who will agree that they are nothing, can do nothing, and have nothing without me. That's who I dwell with. That's who I scoop from the ashes, and I trade their ashes for beauty. He goes, I dwell with them. So the question he asks, he goes, where's the house? He goes, I'm looking on the broken. He asked that in Isaiah 66, but in Isaiah 57, he made it really, really clear. He says, I dwell with that one. Let me ask you something. Do you want to invoke the habitation of God in your life? And in in our spiritual family, I will promise you, it's not going to come through slick marketing that says we're the greatest. It's going to come by us confessing our neediness. And that doesn't appeal to human flesh, but guess what? We don't want to appeal to human flesh. We want to appeal to heaven. We want to appeal and invoke the presence of heaven. He goes, I dwell in the high 
and holy place with him who is contrite and humble. For what? He goes, to revive the spirit of the humble. This is the clearest passage that you can find, one of the clearest passages you can find on revival. He goes, I bring revival to the humble. And I'm coming to this place where I'm just realizing this, I'm just realizing this, that I can't go low enough. How low can you go? Can you go down low, all the way to the flow? I can't, I can't, I gotta go lower than the flow. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? I want him to, I want the presence of God to dwell in glory. (laughs) We've gotta get low. And it's not about emulating what humility looks like, it's actually just coming to grips with this and saying, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I have nothing. I mean, I'm loved. Don't try to counsel me afterwards about like my bad self-image, okay? (laughs) I'm loved, he he loves me, but in my own strength, I don't have anything to offer. It has to be zero, like Dustin so, so clearly articulated about a month ago. It has to be nothing. And, and here's what I think, just the, the, the sort of the central point of this. In Galatians 5, when Paul is talking about the works of the flesh, and, and he says these horrible, horrible things, adultery and fornication and these, all these things, hatred and all this stuff. And then right in the center of it, he goes, selfish ambition. What's weird about that list of the works of the flesh? Pride is not in the list. I'm like, you kind of missed one, didn't you, Paul? He goes, no. All these are manifestations of pride. We were talking before, pride is the seminal sin. It's the central one. It's the sin that all the other ones spring out of. But at the center of that list is selfish ambition. You see what selfish ambition, I think, is? Is the, the outward manifestation of pride that's already ravaged the heart. See, pride in the inside, almost anybody can fake it for a while. You can run around serving and sweeping up after everybody and, and, and acting very, very humble and inside you're wondering when somebody's gonna pat you on the back and when you're gonna get your promotion. And you know what that is? That's selfish ambition. You're doing this thing on the outside, but it's being driven by pride on the inside. And at the center of the, the anti-brokenness is selfish ambition. And this is where I think it just has to come to, where we just say, I don't wanna live for me anymore. I don't wanna live for my opinion anymore. I don't wanna live for anybody's opinion of me anymore. I just wanna live for him. I don't wanna live for what I can get out of it, that what's in it for me mentality. I wanna live for the glory and the beauty of Jesus and that alone recognizing that all I have to offer is a heart that's absolutely broken. And I'll just tell you where this is. You're, you're going, man, you're being a little intense. Well, this is my quiet time, guys. <laughs> it's basically all I ever preach out of is just how God ministers to me. But I would just tell you this. This happened last weekend, and I'm just gonna do this publicly. I've already talked um, with my wife, but uh, last weekend, we were, she and I were shooting this video for somebody's birthday, just a little selfie video. Because it's, it's gonna get serious in here just right now, so just hang in here. But if you can't deal with me being broken like this, 
and, and so we're doing the video, and, and I do videos all the time. I just, I do them all the time for different ministry things, and so I, you know, I, I, can, I can get it done fast. Well, my wife doesn't do videos like that hardly ever. So we're one take, and she's giggling. Second take, and she's like, oh, I didn't like how that went. I'm like, okay, just don't think about it. You got this. Third take, it's rough. I'm like, babe, come on. Come on, get the video, babe. You can do this. You can do this. Just stop thinking. Just get it. And then so we're in this intense moment. I'm all like this. And then in the video, we're like, hey. And she got it done. And an hour later, she comes to me. She said, did I, did I do something wrong? I said, no. You didn't do anything wrong. What's wrong is me. I'm too strong. I'm sorry. I know I already told you, but I am. I'm sorry. Too strong. Too confident. Too full of myself. And I want to get broken so that he'll rest. You know, we'll even humble ourselves and then get proud about how humble we are. What church do you go to? Well, our pastors are broken. (laughs) Don't say that. Because we're not. We're, We're sitting here praying. We're in this season right now, the Lord visiting us, and we are sitting there in many prayer meetings confessing our sins to one another. Stuff like this. And I'm just confessing it to you. I want, I want A, for my own heart to get shattered, but I want to give you courage. Embrace your brokenness. Embrace your weakness. It's like a magnet to the presence of God. <laughs> Psalm 51. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will never despise these. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. What does that mean, the sacrifices of God? It means the sacrifice he's really looking for from you is just agreement that you've got nothing. Just agreement in the true state of things. See, that's the thing about humility. Humility isn't even about sort of like, now I'm really humble. It's actually just about agreeing with reality. Reality is he's infinite, we're finite. Reality is he's exceedingly exalted, and we're dust. And reality is unless he puts life in me, I'm nothing. And unless he puts the words in my mouth, I've got nothing to say. And unless he breathes life into you, you're nothing, we're nothing. Unless grace comes, it's all flesh. And that's the status of humanity without God. Humility is really just truth. Just recognizing what's true and then Stop fighting against it. Isn't that what we do? We fight against it. 
I'll prove to them. I'll show them. I am somebody. Can't act like that to me. Don't step on my blue suede shoes. You, you know, just all that. And it's just a wreck. And this is what we see in society is people just fighting, 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 fighting for what? To prove they are something. God goes, I'll dwell with the broken. And I love Psalm 51. He goes, I'll never despise the broken. What does that mean? He goes, I'll always receive the broken. Because some people, this is how they think. They think, I'm so jacked up, God would never want me. And that's pride in and of itself. Because you actually think your badness is bigger than his goodness. (laughs) Do you know how big he is? Do you know how good he is? You don't. Because you think your minuscule ability to do bad is actually greater than his infinite love and goodness. No, the blood of Jesus fully covers every sin, listen, of every human of all time, and there's a lot of room to spare. The power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse to the uttermost every single sin of every single human. That that power, it's excessive. It's available. No, he will never despise the broken. So get out of your pride and get out of your shame because at the core of shame is pride. At the core of our posturing and our arrogance, pride. Both ends of the spectrums have at this central thing, pride. No, just come to him and say, I'm a wreck and I need you in my life, in my family, in my job, in my ministry. I don't have time to go into it, but Isaiah 61 is actually the punchline of the message. He clothes the broken with glory. Not only will he never reject the broken, he clothes the broken with glory. Beloved, oh, my prayer for us is that we would make this a central pursuit to be a people who's just real, just honest, just for real about our state and our need of God. Amen. We wouldn't stay posturing acting like we're something when we're nothing. But we just say, God, I need you so much. I need you so much. And live every single day like that. You're my air, you're my oxygen. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's stand. You're my food. You're my drink. You're my opinion. You're my desire. Let's just pray. Let's just set our eyes on Jesus. Holy Spirit, here we are once again coming to this this crucible. The fire of the Lord breathing on us. And Lord, there's such great delight that you have with the humble. You want to revive the humble and the broken and the contrite. You want to revive us. And Lord, I've preached these words so many times. And I just confess, I I, I need this so much more. 
So Lord, I pray for our spiritual family. I pray for every person that's heard this this morning, those that'll hear it online, and that they would shed the desire for self. Shed the desire for self. That there would be a line that they would draw that says, I'm no longer living for myself. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ Jesus lives in me. God, shatter us. And and let our, our shattering be like a vacuum for your presence. If you're like me and you need this in a greater measure, but but even more than that, if you'd say, I wanna draw a line in the sand, I wanna get rid of selfish ambition. I don't wanna live for self, I wanna live for Jesus and the glory of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, that his presence would fill and his favor would fill every crevice of my life. That's what the call is. I just want you to just respond to that. You can raise a hand, put your hand on your heart. If that's you in any way, just respond to the Lord right now. And let me pray, God, here we are, and we're recognizing to you that we need you. Let us be like the Apostle Paul, who said, I take glory in tribulation and in weakness and in infirmity. For in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. God, show us reality. Show us your greatness, your great kindness, your your tenderness and your love, and show us how little we are and how much we need you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you pierce our hearts with truth? Fellowship with us. Rest on us. Look on us. Look on us. Look on us. We want to be broken. We want to be humble. Move in our lives. Move in our spiritual family. In the name of Jesus. Everybody that agreed said amen. Amen and amen. Okay, God bless you. You may be dismissed.